The Unclaimed Property Podcast does not provide legal advice or tax advice. Please consult a licensed attorney for any legal advice pertaining to unclaimed property and consult a licensed certified public accountant or your tax preparer for any tax advice regarding unclaimed property. Any legal or tax-related statements made on the Unclaimed Property Podcast are anecdotal and used for illustrative purposes only. The Unclaimed Property Podcast is where you'll learn about the fascinating world of unclaimed property. Most importantly, you'll learn how to find your unclaimed property, retrieve it, and bring it back home, where it belongs. We keep things simple, interesting, and fun. Join us to learn how you can easily put more money in your pocket. Let's get started. I'm your host, John Markcroft, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Courtney Moss. And uh, we're here to talk about unclaimed property today and help you understand what unclaimed property is. It's a question that uh, I've gotten a lot over the course of my career within the industry. And um, it's worthy of the very first episode of uh, the podcast. So thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoy what we cover today. So Courtney, I want to ask you a question. When you hear the term Unclaimed property. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Honestly, the word property I get stuck on. I think, you know, maybe a home, uh, a car, some sort of physical asset. Yeah. And that is perfectly natural. Uh, And it is uh, honestly one of the most confusing parts of the entire process of helping people understand what this is all about because the word property really does relate to something, you know, tangible, something physical. Um, but it, but in this case, it isn't. The word property is used uh, to describe something like uh, financial accounts, like bank accounts, insurance proceeds, you know, refunds, payroll checks, stock, bonds, any really any form of financial account that's held by a company in your name, or in the name of a deceased relative that you're, where you're an heir, and therefore you would have a claim on that, uh, on that account. And maybe it's a little bit easier to describe what it's not, and that is, it's not real estate, such as a home or a commercial building or something like that. It's not a vehicle. It's not anything like that. Generally speaking, uh, unclaimed property in this sense is not anything that's really tangible, so to speak. There is one exception to that, and that is uh, when an account is reported in the form of a safe deposit box by a bank where um, tangible items like maybe jewelry or important papers um, or collectibles are reported uh, to the state for safekeeping. Uh, And uh, when the owner or the heirs come forward, then... um, uh, those items are then turned over uh, to the folks who are rightfully entitled uh, to those particular items. But short of that, everything else has to do with either cash or stocks and bonds, and, and that's it. So um, does that clear things up a little bit on the on what unclaimed property is? Okay, so unclaimed property, it's not physical goods apart from possibly something stored in a safety deposit box. It's it's money. It's uh, it's financial assets. That's correct. And actually, the safe deposit box part is a very, very small percentage of the number of accounts that are actually reported. The vast majority of accounts that are reported 
uh, are in the form of stack. Uh, sorry, in the form of cash. The stock is reported, uh, and and that's probably the the second highest percentage. Um, if I were to put a guess out there, I would say cash is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about seventy percent of the accounts uh, that are reported. Uh, stock would encapsulate another maybe twenty five percent, and then safe deposit boxes another five percent, and that's a very rough, very rough guessing. But nonetheless, I do know from experience, cash occupies the uh, the vast majority of the accounts uh, that are that are available for claim out there. Okay, so I know what unclaimed property is now. It's financial assets that are unclaimed, but why does it matter? Okay, yeah, that that's a great question. Um, and um, I, I mean, basically, you know, I guess the the first answer that comes to mind is well, it's money, and it's it's money that belongs to you already, um, and somehow that money got uh, caught up in, we'll just call it the system for lack of a better term, where regulation has required that because of inactivity, you know, it's now been reported to the state of your last known address for that particular company that was do- that you were doing business with. Um, so it's not money that you, I mean, it's money that you've already either earned or has been given to you in some form by say a deceased relative through their estate or as a beneficiary or something like that. But most often it's money that is in your name uh, and, and that, you know, is just waiting for you, the rightful claimant to come forward and, um, and claim that money to get it back home where it belongs. And that's with you and your bank account. The fact of the matter is that there's so much money floating around out there in unclaimed property. It, it's kind of, you know, Ridiculous, and I, I don't uh, use that word lightly because that's just simply my opinion. I mean, in the United States, there's over seventy billion—that's with a B—seventy billion dollars waiting to be claimed by rightful owners and heirs. Uh, and the estimate uh, by those who are in charge of administering these programs is that uh, around thirty million people uh, share in that pot of seventy billion dollars. And when you break those numbers down, what we're really talking about is the adult population, because it's very rare for a minor child to be an owner of an unclaimed property account. So you have to remove that from the equation and you're you're left with maybe around, I don't know, 200 uh, million people, 220 million people. Uh, you do the math on that and, and you're looking at about one out of every maybe five to seven people in the United States that currently own uh, unclaimed property. So the the odds are actually quite high. And as time goes by, those odds increase in your favor that you'll have an unclaimed property account out there, probably more than one, uh, at least based on my experience, that um, uh, that you have that unclaimed property and it's ready for you to uh, claim it. You just need to be aware of it. Uh, and the reason that those numbers or those odds increase is simply because as accounts are paid out, to rightful owners and heirs, there are more accounts being reported. And over time, it gets to be, to, it gets to the point where, you know, it's a virtual guarantee that you're going to have unclaimed property at some point in time uh, in your life. Uh, so it's something to be aware of. And uh, you just simply need to know how to go about looking for it. And that's really a very simple process that only takes a few minutes. Uh, and if you just have a regimen, 
where you check it, you know, once every quarter, once every year, however you want to do it, uh, then that's usually, you know, advisable in order to just uh, stay on top of things as far as any unclaimed property that's that you own or that you might be an heir to because it's reported in a deceased relative's name, such as a parent, um, a grandparent, or uh, somebody else that you know, uh, you're an heir to their estate. Is that helpful? Yeah, it does. And honestly, it sounds really great, but you know, how do I know it's not too good to be true? How do I know right. that you know, unclaimed property is, is real? It's out there. How do I, how do I know? That's, you know, that is a great question. And it's a question that I got a lot uh, when I was, uh, you know, in direct contact with people who would uh, call in from notices that they received. Um, and it, it was, it was a question that at first, when I first started in this business, I, I actually struggled a little bit with that question because I wondered why people would even ask it that way. You know what I mean? They, they'd call in and they'd say, you know, is this real? Is it a scam? And, and here they are talking to the guy that, you know, presumably sit in the notice. So <laughs> I kind of, at first I was like, hmm, that's an interesting question to ask, especially in that way. But then I came to understand that, you know, people are just uh, obviously concerned and rightfully so. And I always uh, uh, encourage people to be cautious in approaching this type of uh, issue when, when you receive a notice, no matter how you receive it, um, there should be credentialing that's readily available where you can check somebody out. So for instance, let's say that you receive a notice through the mail. Well, the person who is sending the notice should be licensed, should be properly licensed to do this type of work. Uh, that would be something like a private investigator. That's what I am, uh, or an attorney or a CPA, uh, somebody who is properly set up to be able to help you uh, in regards to your unclaimed property and to get it uh, uh, settled and paid out for you. Um, those uh, people's credentials should be easily, uh, should be, you should be able to easily check them out. Uh, online reviews are very helpful, I think, uh, when doing business with anybody these days, right? But, but especially when it comes to something like this, if the person has been in business for any amount of time, there's going to be some experience reviews out there um, uh, on your, you, know, you can find on your internet browser, you can go to Better Business Bureau, check them out there uh, and, and that type of thing. Um, so I guess the last thing I'll say about this is that, you know, if, it's different if you receive an email, for example, or a, or a phone call uh, from somebody and you've never, you know, heard of this person. Uh, you've, you know, nothing about, uh, what they're talking about as far as money that they say is owed to you. And now they're asking you for your personal information. Well, that, that is obviously, you know, a scam type of situation. You definitely want to stay away from those. If somebody calls you on the phone, some companies that do this type of work, they will call you directly. I'm not in favor of that. I never have been, but some companies, uh, will do that. You just want to be the one to ask the questions. Uh, don't let them be the one to ask you questions about your information First, you need to check them out and they should be very willing and in fact, encourage you to check them out. That should be their attitude. Um, so the last thing that you want to do is put yourself in a compromising position with your identification uh, and find yourself a victim uh, of that. But, but beyond that, uh, if indeed the uh, unclaimed property is something that truly belongs to you, at the same time, you want to use an approach that's balanced 
where you're equipped to uh, check the uh, the person or the company out that's approaching you, um, and uh, but at the same time not allow uh, you know, paranoia to get in the way, let's just say of, um, of allowing you to move forward, uh, in, um, in claiming what's rightfully yours. I have quite a bit of experience in dealing with people who just could not move forward and it couldn't get past the idea that they might, um, fall victim to ID theft. And I can't blame them for that. But at the same time, uh, it did, you know, make me sad that, uh, that they weren't able to, retrieve that money and uh, put it to good use in, in their life. Uh, especially these days in our, in our current economic situation where it seems like everybody's hurting financially. Um, it, it's a, it's a real blessing for something like this to come along for most people and make life just a little bit financially easier, uh, for them. So. Right. So it looks like, you know, you know, normal to be skeptical, uh, but there's ways to check to make sure that the person that you're dealing with is legit and uh, that the money oh, owed to you is real and is out there. So yeah. my next question is, you know, why, what, what have you, you know, uh, what's your history? What, why, why are you an expert at unclaimed property? Okay. That's fair. So I was the uh, vice president of a company that specializes in uh, claiming unclaimed property uh, from the states of California and Florida. And I did that for a number of years, uh, both as I, I served as an investigator and also as the vice president of that company. And so I, I received a really uh, complete education on the job in, um, in learning how this business works and how these accounts travel through our system here in the United States to eventually become unclaimed property. And then also um, some of the duties uh, that I was in charge of, I, I, I oversaw the claim process for the company uh, from beginning to end. Uh, I was in charge of importing the accounts that came in and, and uh, uh, making sure that uh, everything was in good order before uh, starting the research process. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much built the company along with the president of the company, pretty much built it from the ground up. And so I, I've seen um, just about everything having to do with uh, unclaimed property and the claim process uh, and the regulatory process that controls the movement of those accounts uh, within that system. And it's just a, it, it's been a fascinating ride. It, it really has. And, um, I came out of financial services. Uh, so I was always curious, you know, what happens to money on the back end? You know, let's say, uh, somebody who passes away had a life insurance policy and, you know, the beneficiary never came forward and collected the money. What happens with that money? I mean, does the life insurance company get to keep it? And so I learned in the process of building, uh, this unclaimed property business, um, that no, in fact, uh, there are laws and regulations firmly in place in every single state that require that insurance company to report that inactive account within a specified period of time uh, so that the beneficiary can be properly notified that the money is there. And uh, gosh, there are so many stories about different people who, for whatever reason, chose not to move forward and it mostly has to do with emotional issues tied to the person who passed away. 
But uh, I guess, you know, from my standpoint, there's a lot of technical expertise that goes into this uh, where I feel I can help people to figure out how to bring their unclaimed property home while at the same time having the uh, emotional experience of understanding that, you know what, there's a lot of reasons why people don't move forward or don't want to move forward and simply need that reason uh, to move forward and somebody to talk to and understand their situation. And there's a lot of that going on out there within the unclaimed property world. But yeah, you know, I just, um, I'm here to, to help however I can. So it seems like you really know unclaimed property inside and out. Way too much. Way, <laughs> way too much. More, far more than I need to. Yeah. Right, right. So you mentioned this money, this unclaimed property, these unclaimed financial assets, they, they fall through the cracks. They fall through the cracks of yeah. the system. What, what does that mean? Where does that money go? And what does that look like? Okay, sure. You know, let's say that you, uh, you know, you, you have an account with your local bank and it's a, let's just say it's a savings account and you've managed to build up a balance of maybe, let's just say a thousand dollars. And then, um, and then something changes in your life. It could be that you, you move to another state or it could be that you have a, a, a health condition come up in your life that just kind of puts you in a tailspin. Or maybe you, you lose somebody who's really close to you and you, you enter into this, you know, this just this emotional storm cloud in your life. And you just, you forget about that savings account, you know, uh, and you, you don't respond to the bank when they, you know, send you notice. Maybe when you move, you don't, send, you don't set up a, um, a forwarding address. And so the mail is returned to the bank. They have no way of contacting you or rather some do a better job than others of this whole contact requirement. But let's just say that for whatever reason, they're not able to make successful contact with you. Okay, well, now under unclaimed property law for that particular state, and they at this point in time, unclaimed property laws uh, with all states are very similar. And that is, there's a dormancy period that starts when an account is flagged as inactive. They they're required, that is, these companies, banks, insurance companies, employers, you know, all different types of companies are required by law to have a uh, some type of an auditing system set up to um, to track these accounts. So your account would be red flagged as, um, or red flagged rather, it would be flagged as uh, being dormant or inactive. And that's when the clock starts. And each state law differs a little bit here where there's a dormancy period, uh, usually lasting anywhere from as little as maybe a year to as much on average to maybe eight years. Uh, in the state of California, it's usually three years. Um, but, uh, you know, there's certain types of accounts, there's less time than that. And certain t other types of accounts, it's longer than that. But let's just say it's three years in, in this case. So if they're not able to make contact with you within a three-year period, they're required by law in that case to then report it to the state of your last known address for that particular account. Now, before it gets to that point, there's what's called a, a pre-sheet uh, process. And that's a technical term that describes the transfer of money uh, under these laws from the company that's holding the money to the state. 
uh, to the interested state. And so there might be a company that comes along that's a pre-Ashit company, a sheet meaning transfer of money from the company to the state that comes in and maybe sends you a letter and they want to charge you a high fee. They're not as regulated as the uh, business that I worked for. So they can charge upwards of 30%, you know, for that, uh, for that work that they do. And um, that's pretty much highway robbery in my opinion, but a lot of people uh, do move forward with that service and they get the money directly from, in this case, the bank in this example. Um, but then a lot of those uh, companies don't work the smaller value accounts like the $1,000 account that's thought to be too low uh, for them to be able to make a, a profit even at 30%, believe it or not. So, uh, so they pass on it and then it moves forward and it's reported to the state and it goes what's called post a sheet. So that's where I come in as far as my expertise goes where uh, the money's transferred to the, again, uh, the interested state and is, uh, you know, the, the state takes custody of that money for safekeeping until the rightful owner or heir uh, comes forward. So then once the, uh, once the money arrives at the state, then other companies get involved whose expertise is to understand the rules and regulations that control uh, receiving an approval from a claim that's submitted to that particular state. And you'll receive a notice from those companies. You may receive a notice from the state. Uh, some states send out notices um, uh, to the owner at the last known address. So again, you know, if you moved, it's not going to be helpful because it's an old address for you. But they they do the best that they can given the budget restrictions that they have uh, to work with and getting people notified. Uh, and their hope is that is the state's hope is that you'll move forward and, and receive the money before it gets to the state. You'll get it directly from the bank. Again, you know, uh, off of this example that we're talking about being a savings account. But if that doesn't happen, then it ends up with the state and then, and then a company might get involved. But again, you know, there are, uh, there are value thresholds that will keep a company from working your account. And a thousand dollars, I'm afraid is just not enough for those companies to be interested in notifying you and helping you get through that process. And that's part of the reason why I started uh, what I'm doing here uh, uh, with the podcast and then Simplest Unclaimed Property. And that is to uh, provide assistance, effective assistance to people whose accounts truly have fallen through the cracks, meaning you know, if your account isn't worth at least $5,000, it's not going to attract the attention of a service provider. It's just not. It's not practical for them to be able to, with with all the regulation that's out there, uh, controlling fee structures and things like that, When once it gets to that point, then, you know, they, they just can't work an account worth less than $5,000 in most cases. So, it, you know, in my case where I'm providing... Uh, basically my expertise and guidance through uh, a claim manual or a, or a claim guide, if you will, um, that then changes the game completely where uh, anybody really can move forward, even on a low value account and uh, claim their, their unclaimed property successfully. But, um, uh, you know, one, one of the other things kind of in tandem with this question that you're asking, Courtney, um, 
you know, in addition to like, you know, understanding a little bit about the process, hopefully I'm not boring you to tears, but, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people wonder, well, you know, why do accounts go dormant? And, and I kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. Maybe you moved, maybe you have uh, been diagnosed with something, you know, serious in, in your health life. Maybe you lost a close loved one. Um, perhaps you had a mental health change in your own life uh, that's created kind of this, you know, um, some apathy uh, or sadness or something. And it's, it's just very difficult for you to even get out of bed in the morning. I ran into a lot of these types of situations with people and then, then their life would change back to the positive and, and they'd become aware and they'd start taking action. But they'd tell me the story, the background of why, why it is that this money has been sitting there for so long. Um, a lot of people, they know about it. They know about it and they've tried to claim it and they've been denied uh, by the state. And then I had to get involved and uh, could get them an approval because there was something about the process that they didn't quite understand. And while the state is there to help, they are not there to be helpful, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So in other words, they're not going to hold your hand and they're not going to tell you about the minute little things that could get in the way of an approval. Um, some of them don't even know about it themselves. Uh, depending on the level of, uh, you know, depending on the, the work that they specialize in uh, within that particular governmental agency. But all of these things are included in the, uh, the claim guide that I've uh, put together, all the little uh, uh, tips that I learned along the way to get to an approval. Um, and then still other people are just angry. You know, they're just plain angry about a traumatic experience that they had. Maybe they were abused by the person who left them this money and they want absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with it. I ran into that quite a number of times. And then, uh, or maybe it was a, a difficult divorce and they just, they just, the money's not worth it. They don't want to revisit those emotions. So there's all kinds of things. It's all over the map. So many different variables when it comes to humanity and the reasons that keep us from moving forward with something that that uh, an onlooker might just think, wow, that's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, so a, a lot was learned during those years for me in my own personal life on, you know, people and, and how we kind of operate on an emotional level and what keeps us from moving forward with something that would actually be good for us, uh, or at least it seems like it would be good for us. That's a little bit of background on that really interesting to know. It seems like there's a lot to learn about unclaimed property. Thanks oh, for sharing so it with so me. So much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So much to learn in this. It's just crazy. You know, and a lot of it is um is just super granular and technical that would that would bore you to tears, but there's there's also so much here that is interesting and fascinating and affects people's lives and in some cases in dramatic ways that can really make a positive difference uh, in somebody's life. So that's what I love about it. Uh, there's so much going on that you never know what you're going to be seeing next. And, uh, and that's what's kept me hooked on it. So, um, but, you know, before I forget, I just want to tell our listeners, you know, 
if you want to learn more, go to the website uh, to uh, to check it out. There's information there that you'll that you'll find interesting and helpful. The website is simplestup.com. When you go there and 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 look around, you know, feel free to share that with a friend. The vast majority of of people who learn about unclaimed property absolutely want to get their hands on it, so to speak. You know, want to, want to bring that money home where it belongs, put it to good use. And uh, that's what we're here to do is to help in that process, not just to understand, but to actually get it done. And uh, that's what the website is about. Uh, so again, simplestup.com. And feel free to shoot me a message through our contact page too. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, we certainly hope that uh, you come back and listen in again to our next episode. It's been, uh, it's been fun here today. 